Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to the final episode of Still Watching Mayor of East Town. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. If you're just joining us for the finale, I mean, what a what a yeah. treat to have you here at the end. Uh, what Richard and I do on this podcast every week is we, you know, pick a show we're watching sort of closely, we break it down. Sometimes we get to talk to folks from the show uh, on the podcast. This week, we have series creator and writer brad inglesby and we also have uh julian nicholson who plays laurie so you will hear from brad and you will hear from julianne a little later in this episode and i also want to get just like a tiny bit of housekeeping out of the way before we we get into some of your emails and the discussion of this finale episode we the next show we are doing is we're headed back to marvel land and we're doing loki which is six episodes over on disney plus I'm actually really excited for that one. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like, I loved covering WandaVision. Falcon and Winter Soldier was a little bit of a bumpy road. And I'm really pretty hyped for Loki. I think it's going to be really, really fun and interesting. We will have a preview episode, like a prep, get ready episode about 
Loki coming out on the 3rd of June. And Anthony Brezikin and I will be chatting a little bit about like comics to read and sort of things to get you excited if you want to. And then a great interview that I did with Loki showrunner Michael Waldron, who was so fascinating and is like the main reason, one of the main reasons why I'm like super excited for the show. So that's going to drop on June 3rd. And then we will be dropping these episodes on Thursdays. So like June 10th, June 17th, stuff like that. The way we're going to be covering Loki is a little different than we cover the other Marvel shows because I, I don't know about you, Richard. Like I, sure, it was fun to crash an episode every Friday morning in the wee hours of the morning. But with the new release, it's a midweek release. We're going to give ourselves an extra day to like read your guys' emails and all sorts of stuff. So you will be getting Loki episodes for us on Thursdays going forward. And Richard will be back, obviously, for Loki too. So it'll be really fun. So that is the housekeeping that I have to do. Richard, before we talk about this finale, what do we have any emails from folks? Well, once again, we got a lot of emails, which we always appreciate. A lot of them were theories that now are moot. So we picked a couple emails that were more about general topics of, you know, related to mayor uh, of Easttown in the whole run of this series. The first one is from Jennifer, who is a professor of law in Ohio. And she said some very nice things about you and I, Joanna, that I don't need to read on on air. (laughs) The bulk of of what she wrote is this. I'm a public health law professor, so definitely not a science or medicine expert. But most of the tragedy in Easttown directly attributed to opioid use is unnecessary and wouldn't be happening if those folks had access to not even excellent quality, just standard of care, harm reduction practices, and affordable, competent health care, which many people in the U.S. don't. This is not a fringe view. The Veterans Administration Health System is 100% committed to treating opioid dependence with drugs that block the cravings. I'm not saying every show needs to be an after-school special, but given that almost anyone watching is affected by opioids, these myths cause harm because most people don't know that really effective treatment is available. Maybe this kind of information, and she leaks to uh, links rather to an article from Harvard about the shifting in language, not using the term drug abuser, for example. She said maybe that should be shared among screenwriters. Mayor should have been trying to get Freddie to a doctor, not calling the gas company. And a lot of the programs like the one Carrie attends are really counterproductive because they don't permit medical assisted treatment. And then she provided some links to various experts. So yeah, maybe we could try to find a way to publish that somewhere. But yeah, I really appreciate this. I think that it's the opioid crisis like Jennifer writes is... In some senses, almost everyone in the country, or at least, you know, is affected by it. And so it's important that the breadth of the reality gets shared and shown not just in news things, but also in our fiction. And, you know, I I don't know that I would say that, like, I think in the the world of the show, it makes sense that the the choices that were made. But yes, maybe a broader understanding about what treatments are available is the most crucial thing to helping stop the problem yeah i I thought it was interesting when you pointed out the opioid crisis being sort of this you know somewhat of a villain of this series and i I found this email really uh, illuminating and i like i don't know i'm i'm far from any expert in the opioid crisis most of what i know comes from like i don't know documentaries you and i have watched for our oscar coverage and stuff like that but and, and there's some great stuff out there i i i think it would be great to see a great piece of fiction about the, you know, about the opioid crisis that has some of these elements uh, that are contained in this email. I think that would be great to see. So thank you for the email. Thank you so much. You mean other than Ben is back. Other than Ben is back. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Sorry for Ben is back reference <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> 
the second email I wanted to read is from Dana. And she says, I just had a comment that I wanted to share about Mayor of Easttown, episode six. It's not that I thought you missed anything, but you just didn't mention something that I found so poignant about Dawn and Mayor's convo. She's referring to when Dawn sort of says thank you for finding Katie. I was really moved and gut-wrenched by the pain and recognition that Dawn shared, both about how she was having difficulty parenting Katie before she was abducted, and about how hard it is now supporting her in the dark depths of trauma from this experience. I don't know if I'm articulating this well, but it seemed like such a shared experience between them and how hard it is to be a parent of a teen dealing with mental health issues, opioid addiction, trauma. I remember Mayor in the beginning episodes was bitter that Dawn was trying to paint over that aspect, and I think she also felt judged about her own son's suicide. This really sad realization that Dawn shared and the way that Mayor seemed to have empathy and compassion for her seemed like a kind of healing commiseration between them, but at the same time, a shared despairing reality. I think you said that very articulately, <laughs> Dana. <laughs> yeah. Better than we could, maybe. So, yeah, I, I guess we didn't we didn't highlight that moment specifically, but it speaks so much to what this whole show is about and what I think this finale episode is about. Yeah, that empathy. I think you know something that we've seen. I was trying to figure out like how Mare's processing her emotions is connected to you know the case and how everything rolls out in the end here, and I think you know a big part of that is the the guilt and shame she felt about what happened with Kevin. You know, and I'm not saying she deserved to feel that, but that's the, that's how she felt was getting in the way of her empathy, I think, to a certain degree. And and like the thing is that generally like Mare had empathy for people who were not super close to her, if that makes sense. She had like like for Jess or for like her her sources who were sex workers. Like you could see the the natural sort of empathy that she had there. But I think any time that she was reminded of ways in which she felt that she had failed as a mother, she got very brittle and was unable to extend empathy to people like Carrie and stuff like that until she went through this therapy and and had this episode. And obviously her connection with Lori is like the big thing, which we're going to talk about. But I... uh, I, I love that Dawn moment as sort of like a, a a hint of this like bigger sort of Lori moment, and the and the and the Lori moment is just really a lot about Mare being okay with herself, being able to extend empathy to other people because she is in a more a place of peace with herself. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. All right, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna go through this whole thing person by person. I just want to shout out a few things. First of all, I love. <laughs> I'm just say this publicly. I lost a bet to someone about who the killer was, and I will say that within the first five minutes, it became clear to me that I was wrong. When when John when it was like, oh, John has admitted to being the killer. Uh oh, definitely can't be John. There's oh, another no. hour left of the episode. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. So uh, that that happened. So I spent the rest of the episode going like, oh no. But uh, the the thing I want to say broadly is that what I was looking for this episode. More than being right, which always feels nice, but that's but that's okay if you're wrong. More than being right or more than there being like a satisfying, oh my God, twist. It was an emotional satisfaction. And for me, the, the finale delivered. How did you feel about it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, we yeah. had talked a lot about Ryan as a possible suspect. I believe there is a post on VanityFair.com where various writers for Vanity Fair predicted who was going to be the killer in the end, and yours truly wrote Ryan. So You wrote Ryan? I did. Oh, um, Richard yeah. Lawson. At, between Anthony Hopkins and, and Ryan, I'm just... 
dazzled by you, honestly. Yeah, I did for there a while was... think Anthony Hopkins had had killed. Uh, <laughs> was the killer. There was yeah. there was a second where I thought it might be Laurie, and you guessed Julianne Nicholson like really early on in the podcast, and I was like, if Richard is right about Laurie and Anthony <laughs> Hopkins, I'm gonna die. But you're right about Ryan. Okay, all right. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna listen to you. Well, I, was, I mean, I think we were both right that we were like Julianne Nicholson is like one of the best actors working. Like, yeah. gosh, there's gonna be something big for her, and I think we were proven right about that. But no, back to your the more important not we're we're not we're not here to gloat (laughs) i thought it was really satisfying i thought um right from the get when you know it begins in medias race where you know where the sixth episode ended with a cliffhanger i was like oh this is gonna be like a big shootout thing and no it wasn't it was kind of this little pathetic scramble for the gun and mayor falling in the river and then it was over you know and i i liked that it didn't go to that violent place on the flip side i didn't love that we had to see the murder happen toward the end of the episode but yeah, I think everything else, for the most part, was so moving and yeah. was, you know, I think there could be one argument that, like, maybe some things were tied up a little too neatly. There were, you know, all of these resolutions kind of happening around the same time as each other. Is that really how life works? But mm, I kind yeah. of liked that this episode pushed that sentiment knob up a little higher you know i think we needed it after a long grim slog not slog it was a pleasure to watch the show but like yeah and i thought that the closing minutes were really gorgeous and poetic in a way especially with the final shot in a in a way that like i i really appreciated that this murder mystery was also about a lot more and not in a clunky pretentious way exactly so let's talk about like just a few things that may or may not have worked for us before we get to stuff that like really, really did and resonated. I'm going to hit the Dylan Hinchy uh, aspect first and say Dylan saying like he did it all because he wanted his parents to have custody of the kiddo, which is something that I had sort of guessed in a theory post I wrote a couple weeks ago that that was his motivation. But it just his actions felt so extreme, like waving a gun in Jess's face and all stuff like that for that to be his motivation and for him to turn so quickly and just be like, here's some surgery money. Like, thank you so much. So, like, I think Dylan suffers mostly from like them them pushing too hard on him being a red herring. That's that would be my take on that. What do you think? I think they did push a little hard by bringing him back into the picture, you know? Yeah. I I liked the moment with Jess yeah. when she was like, I was just trying to honor my friend. Like, that felt credible to me. Yes. But I think, yeah, like, putting all the suspicion on Dylan and then kind of showing, like, oh, his life has really been blown off course by all of this in a really sad way. He had a kid that he's now essentially lost. Yeah. In some senses. Um you know, kind of giving him this sympathetic thing, like similarly to how they treated the deacon. Like, I, I get that it's trying to show the, the the sort of moral complexity of all of this, and that like Mayor wasn't wrong to suspect people of doing it because there was, you know, there was suggestion that they had done something. But then, you know, I don't know. I thought it was a little too neat in yeah. a way that some other things kind of were left hanging, which I appreciated. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So yeah, so I agree. The just stuff worked really well for me. Beth and Don and Katie and the grandkid, like that was just a tiny moment, but basically like Katie got a house. It seems like maybe the community raised funds for her. And that, you know, that was, that was another big theme of this episode. We'll, we'll get to Deacon Mark in a second, but the big theme of this episode was like community, right. And like community support. We've talked about tribalism. We've talked about 
institutions failing us, but, you know, the community supporting us, all this sort of stuff like that. And so that felt like that belonged there because, you know, everything isn't solved for poor Katie Bailey. She had a traumatic experience. She may not ever get over it, but the community was able to support her in this way, you know? Yeah, it was a tricky thing because... I liked the line where Don said, you know, a lot of people love you, you know, that really yeah. seemed to be driving home the th- uh, one of the major themes of the show yeah, in a sweet and, and sort of melancholy way. But I, w- I found myself thinking, like, is it a good idea for her to be living alone right now? You know, like she'll have her kid, obviously, but like, I don't know. I just yeah. maybe I don't I'm not sure how much time exactly was supposed to have elapsed. But yeah. But I think time, maybe that time that moved question- like a river in this episode. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Siobhan's going off to college. Don's hair has grown out. Like, uh, you know, I, I think trying to track down exactly how much time passed at certain points in this episode, it would be a somewhat futile practice. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just I mean, I guess, but that question of like, is she going to be okay in this new situation is kind of the point, which is like, yeah. We're just going to try, you know, we're going to see what we can do in the same way that Carrie was like, I'm going to go back to a rehab program, you know, like, we can only do as best as we can do. And who knows what lies ahead. Yeah, I want to talk about Carrie because like, so I had I had wondered, we had both wondered if maybe like, Mayor would take Carrie in or like Carrie would be with Frank or something like that, like she would be welcomed into the family in a way because we saw her struggling so much last week. And that's not quite what happens. Like, Mayor gets custody, Mayor and Frank get custody of the kiddo, and Carrie goes off to rehab. You know, and, and, and it, it, that scene between Carrie and Mayor does allow Mayor to extend that empathy, that kindness to Carrie that she wasn't able to give Carrie before, that she definitely wasn't able to give Carrie when she was planting drugs on her. You know, so there is, like, a healing there, but I, I, I guess I set myself up because I had, like, imagined an even more healing, wholesome feeling around it how did how did the carry stuff work for you yeah i think i i really liked that mayor said i know you love him she didn't say we love you or anything she said i know you love him and i think that she was also talking to herself which is like you know whether or not mayor actually failed kevin she feels like she did yeah and she has to remind herself that that doesn't mean she didn't love him sufficiently or whatever you know yeah and i think that like she's also saying to carrie like i know you love him because you're doing this you're going to get further help you know and you're realizing the limits of your ability to parent him and i thought that was a very sober kind of well maybe that's not the right word to use but like you know a very (laughs) realistic pragmatic way to look at this painful decision yeah which doesn't have really any easy answers and who knows what awaits Carrie and her son in the future. But like Mayor at least saying like, I know that you are coming at this from a place of love. I think that was crucial for her to say and, you know, almost to herself. Exactly. That exactly what I, yeah. What we've been saying, which is this idea of like extending empathy to others oftentimes can mean like having empathy for yourself. Right. And that can be the harder thing to do is have empathy for yourself. If you and can't love time, yourself, yeah. how the hell is you going to love somebody else, as RuPaul says? Or, yes, or just as, as, that, but. as St. RuPaul uh, has been known to say. So, yeah, this all the times that we've seen Mare try to confront the ways in which she feels like she left Kevin down or, or saying to Zabel, like, I wasn't a good mother, like, all this sort of stuff is, you know, maybe you are a great mother, Mare, and maybe, maybe you know, sometimes circumstances anyway whatever i'm rambling okay let's talk i I do want to get to the deacon but let's talk about just wrap up frank and Faye and richard and siobhan and all of that frank and Faye get married we don't really know why Faye 
do we know why Faye was like piecing out for a while and then came back? No, right? I think Faye was going to run away with Teresa, which, you know, oh, from Damon Lindelof's the, uh, theory. Westdale. And she just, you know, decided, she realized that Teresa was up to no good. And so she oh. returned. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Faye's back in the fold. They have a wedding. Siobhan plays. Siobhan decides to go to Berkeley. I really loved all the letting go scenes with Mare and Siobhan. I thought they were beautiful. And also, Rich, you know, Richard is Mary's date for the wedding. So she gets to bring Guy Pierce to the wedding. And... He's leaving. I have heard of base college. He's leaving to go teach at base college. And I I do like that the that the show is, you know, I like whenever it's like finding the right man didn't heal Mare, right? Like that her healing isn't really connected. It's nice that she has this connection with him, but like she's also healing things just plenty fine on her own. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And maybe she can drive up to Bates and be mayor of Maine. Oh, you know, I would love for, that for, for a weekend, anyway. <laughs> mayor, mayor of a weekend getaway to Maine. I love that. Anything you want to say about, like, Siobhan or any of that? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 don't, I doubt it was a nod to it, but I read it as a subtle nod to the end of Six Feet Under <laughs> with Siobhan mm. driving off. And I think in a Prius, I might have been wrong about that, like, like uh, Lauren Ambrose does at the end of Six Feet Under. Uh-huh. But yeah, I I think in a in a very meta way, I I thought that the family saying goodbye to Siobhan was kind of saying goodbye to a character who I think kind of didn't really work. Beautifully played, and and you know there are some great scenes, but I I just don't know where she really factored into the story in the, in a, in a way that other people in the community and in the family did. But yeah, I mean it's a, it's a nice not ending but beginning for her for Siobhan and also for the family to kind of figure out how to let people go in a way that isn't final that that there there can be a life can have a different kind of shape to it is a crucial lesson uh for all of them because everything had been so ossified and in that house and you know kind of almost like frozen in time in some ways and i think that that was also obviously reflected in the final shot i think that the one moment that I really loved, uh, not the final goodbye with Siobhan, but like the bedroom conversation that they have is that Siobhan's like, you love being from Easttown is something she says. Yeah. Like that, right. And like, you know, it's, it sounds so hokey, but that really drove home for me. My sentiment is hokey, which is like that the title is mayor of Easttown. Right. And so it's not just about like mayor. It's about like mayor being of this place, being like this great protector steward of this place. Right. And like the fact, you know, the fact that this series opens with Mare taking like a personal phone call from Betty Carroll uh, and then ends with her taking a call from like her husband and like her doing this thing that's like kind of outside of her job description. But since they all know her and they're like, just call Mare, you know what I mean? And she'll Mm -hmm. solve your problem for you. Like that just feels very interesting to me in terms of her role. It's she's not just like a cop in this town she is like the protector of this town you know yeah yeah that scene was nice i don't i don't mean to be hard on the siobhan character i just no 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 no. i i i basically agree with you yeah Uh, but i was uh, that that one line i think really stood out to me as as strong especially because it was so funny to be like mayor on vacation what does that even look like? Like, I can't even comprehend. Okay. Like, she's at, like, a Sandals resort reading a magazine. Like, I just, I don't know. I can't. Uh, yeah. So I think, yeah, it was funny that she was like, that's not going to happen. But 
yeah, that sort of generational realization of like, you know, someone in this family is going to have to leave at some point, you know, so like, and then the others, we have to kind of be content with both of our choices to stay or to go, you know? Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Deacon Mark, right? So there's this scene with Mayor, with the Deacon in, um, in, in jail, and then her conversation with her cousin Dan, and then Deacon Mark back in the church. And I thought that scene was really beautiful, the scene in the church. I have to not be a religious person, but then, you know, the name of this episode um, is Sacrament. And, um, you know, the my understanding of uh, Sacrament based on a quick Google, you know, is that uh, I'll, I'll just read you the Google definition, which is a religious ceremony or ritual regarded as imparting divine grace, such as baptism, the Eucharist, penance, and the anointing of the sick. And so I just feel like this thing we're talking about in terms of Mare extending grace to Carrie, extending grace to Lori eventually, extending, you know, all this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. that that's her version of the sacrament. And then, you know, Deacon Mark gives this whole conversation about community and healing and, and uh, allowing people to come in rather than shutting people out, um, which I found really, really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. Although it, something about the deacon is still sort of up in the air, you know, like his past, right? It's sort of shadowy. I thought there was an interesting moment where Mare is at the house just after Helen has fallen down <laughs> and is laughing about it. <laughs> and, uh-huh. you know, Dan is there making drinks. And she says, oh, by the way, we re- the deacon was released today. And then the camera focuses on his face and he kind of turns away and looks sort of concerned. But that was never really resolved. And I thought that was interesting, like a sort of like one of the, the things kind of left hanging is like what what that world, what the deacon's world is going to be like, what Dan's world is going to be like, what the church's world is going to be like. Yeah. Yeah, that it was unresolved and sort of troubled a little bit, I thought was that made sense. Okay. I agree with you. I agree with you on that. I thought I interpreted the Dan moment a little differently, but I like your interpretation. I interpret it as like, cause I, it felt like it was up to Dan and I don't know the hierarchy of the church to know this, but it felt like it was up to Dan, whether or not to let Mark still be part of the church. And that Dan in that moment was like weighing a decision for mm, himself. I see that, would but I could be wrong, yeah. but, but that was sort of my interpretation of that. But, but, you know, it is, it is a show that, that could stand to have a few more uh, loose ends left untied. So I, I like that as an untied end, you know. So, yeah. So, I mean, and, and like I said before, I really like that Mare going over to see Mr. Carroll, him calling her really, really just to talk to her about how does one grieve yeah, being the real reason why he called her and that being the thing that leads her to the evidence that leads her to Ryan, I thought was really, once again, emotionally powerful and, and strong and thematic. It just feels when things feel like thematically coherent, it's very satisfying to me in a mystery. So that I really and like. did you think there was a little glimmer of suggestion that maybe Hay and Helen will strike things up again? <laughs> I can only hope. I mean, if maybe he says hide her in the to... supermarket from a distance, that's a start. <laughs> you know, maybe she can teach him how to play Fruit Ninja, and they can like yeah. hang out and play Fruit Ninja, or together. make a Manhattan. You know. <laughs> oh my god! I I just have to say, like Gene Smart laughing really hard uh, when Helen fell over was just like pure sunshine into my soul. Which brings us to like the heavier parts of the episode, right? Which is everything, everything Ryan, etc. Let us go to our conversation with. 
Julianne Nicholson and hear from her. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then, I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now. Turner Classic Movies presents Decoding John Ford, the all-new season of The Plot Thickens. This season on The Plot Thickens, we explore the world of renegade movie director John Ford. Ford was a living legend, a cinematic giant, and also a notorious egomaniac who could unload on actors. You will hear from the best of them, John Wayne, James Stewart, Catherine Hepburn, even Ricardo Montalbán. Find out how Ford's legacy survives his personal demons. Don't miss Decoding John Ford, the new season of The Plot Thickens, with new episodes available every week, available wherever you get podcasts. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval, variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on creditworthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. to talk to you um about uh your role obviously overall but also this incredible finale um but let me go let me go back to the beginning and ask you um how this job came to you were you offered the role or did you do some sort of chemistry read with Kate uh in the first place so I've actually known Kate for many years um she her ex-husband Sam and my husband Jonathan have been dear friends for decades um Jonathan is Kate's son's godfather. She was at our wedding. So I've known her for a long time. Um, and, uh, but hadn't seen her for probably, gosh, 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. But I've also always been a massive fan before I even, before I ever met her, she was sort of the, you know, the pinnacle for me of like, just what she does. And so, um, and she, uh, she called and said, I'm doing the show. I want to talk to you about the role of Lori, my best friend. And so I spoke, I talked to her about it. And then I met with, um, Brad and Gavin, uh, and they talked to me about it. And basically the role was mine. If, if, if I, if I wanted to do it and you know, there was enough, there were enough reasons there to say yes. 
Um, yeah. And I wanted to talk to you um, about, uh, you know, basically when you showed up and I think you are second build in the show, my, my podcast co-host and I were like, oh, they're going to, they're going to let Julianne off the chain and let her like do her thing. We also, we covered uh, the outsider as well. And, you know, every time you show up, we are so excited to see you. Uh, so you've got these pair of, I mean, you've got I don't know, sort of scene after scene in the finale where you have to do a lot of tough emotional work, but two really big ones. And I want to talk to you about the first one, which is the, you know, it's Ryan sort of car scene and what that was like to film and to access. Do you mean when she and I are in the car together? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that we actually shot kind of early on, um, which was like, Okay. Uh, but I think there was already, I mean, luckily, as I said, Kate and I already have this connection, which felt like a huge thing to be able to, to fall back upon, you know, years and history and different places and people and joys and heartbreaks and all of that. So, um, and just the story, I, I knew from the, you know, pretty early on what the, what the end result was going to be. And I mean, it was just so so awful that um the fact of it and also what felt like such a huge uh that mayor would do that to Lori and her family just felt like just felt like the worst possible a friend wouldn't do that so I think it was just such a um god I'm blanking on the word but it's it was like just devastating and so it actually we didn't have to do it that many times it was a freezing cold night um, it was late at night. It was the last, I think it was like the last, last scene on a Friday. So it was like, and I think, I don't think we did it that many times. What about the, the, the final scene with Lori and Mare in the kitchen? Um, um yeah. yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it's really hard to co- like go and do those things and try to be as honest as you can, but it's, it, you know, it's amazing to have um Kate to be looking at on the other side of the scene and uh Craig was fantastic in sort of just giving us that space and Brad wrote a beautiful scene and also had a very clear idea of how he was hoping it would play out and um I think that we did have to do a number of times just because there's a bunch of coverage and then down on the floor and all of that so it's it's hard, it's sad, it's tiring, but it's also, you know, hopefully you get someplace that people recognize and respond to. What, um, what did you hear from Brad about, you know, his precise vision for that scene, what it would convey? They always, he always told me, they always told me that the show ends with them, with that friendship. Um, and so it just felt like, a beautiful way to wrap it up and to feel like um, life goes on, even with the horrors that can happen, life keeps happening. And, and if you can keep one or two of those people along the way, it's helpful. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful echo of that earlier bench scene, right? Where, Laura talks to Mare about, you know, you've pushed everyone away, even you No, I won't let you. Right. And so then Mare comes and offers her the same sort of thing. I won't let you yeah. push me away. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And there's just so much work. I mean, you know, hearing you say you're lifelong or, or longtime friends with Kate doesn't surprise me because there's so much work done throughout the season of making that Lauren Mayer friendship seem so real and in doing so making the stakes of what could be lost there feel so painful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. If you no, no. I, I th- That was the hope, you know, to create that love, to create that friendship, to create that history. So, you know, the lot, what, what the loss of that would mean. Yeah. The, and it's just, it's uh it's in big moments, like, you know, when it's stated, like in that bench scene, but like just little things, like just opening a beer and putting it in front of mayor or something, you know, like all these little things, this shorthand for like a lived in friendship. You know? I know. I think that, I think that um Brad was so clever with that because I, I didn't know, I didn't really know that's what we were doing, but I mean, I guess that, of course that's what, what it, you know, what spending time with people does, you know, in the, in the show, in the scenes, just, it is the little moments. They don't all have to be, it's a lot of a friendship is sitting around. <laughs> Watching the game, whatever. Watching the game. <laughs> Tips. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm curious what you observed of Kate, not just as your, your co-star, your scene partner, but as uh, an EP on the show and someone who's sort of shepherding yeah, I mean, I, like, Kate's yeah. amazing. I've, as I said already, she's just such an incredible actor, and and always has been. But her attention to detail and her memory and her care for every aspect of this show was on on display twenty four seven. I mean, she would carry this big chunky binder around that had like all the scripts and that had (laughs) notes and you know post-its and just scribbles and arrows and it was always about for her like because as you know as a viewer and as I felt even as a uh, reader and then actor it's like wait when did that happen because you know we filmed it all out of order we were filming scenes from the seventh episode in the first month and and vice versa scenes from the first episode in the last month so it was like trying to get a handle on who knows what and what version of the truth they know. But she was so clear about that all the time and would often like get everybody on board or like point out, actually, no, that hasn't happened yet. We have to do this. It's like, Oh, right. Right. And just, I mean, just silly things like continuity, like all I'm not, that's not silly at all, but the things that are harder to hold on to, especially when we had that, you know, gap, um break yeah uh, she was just remarkable and she just cared so deeply she just wanted it to be the best so she was there all the time you know everyone's cheerleader cast and crew um she's remarkable and I'm so thrilled that it's doing so well as for, for her because she deserves it I mean the, the amounts and quality and quantity of time and care she put into this was really something um, you know, this, this show is so much about motherhood, which is beautiful to see in like a big HBO whodunit, like to put motherhood so central to something like that. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, you, you, you crushed it, uh, in, in a motherhood role in the outsider and in this, and I'm just curious, you know, what work you do, or if it doesn't feel like work at all to connect with the child actors that you're working with when you're, um, well, actually it does. I, I often, um, it's very important to me to, to create a relationship with them immediately. 
because if you don't have that, then it's not believable. Because a lot of times little kids, you know, when they're acting, they're just a person looking at another person. They're like the most grounded, you know, actors you could work with. They're just like in the moment. So if you can, um, if you can, I've also been really lucky to work with some sweet kids. So a lot of times I'll bring a present to start like uh, a craft or something I did for the, for the, my daughters on the outsiders. I think I brought them each like a little one, a sewing kit and one another like version of that. Cause it's nice also, cause who doesn't want a present? Sure. <laughs> I Cassie and Cameron too. I think I got Cameron a t-shirt from a Philly basketball t-shirt. Cause he actually plays basketball. And um, Cassie, I think I got her some, like some activity book also and something and a hat Um, so I think starting with presents is always a good idea. And then just spending time. Like I went out to dinner with Cameron and his mom, Jill, who are fantastic and lovely. So we, you know, you go out to dinner, you like hang out when you can, you talk when you're on set, you find out about that person, like, so that you're just relating to each other. I love that. Um, what was it like working with Cameron on that, uh, interrogation scene? the confession scene. I that was that was really that was a hard one for me the harder one the 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 most heartbreaking one for me actually was um when he runs home from school and says she knows. Yeah. I'm going to get upset just thinking about, um because because I have a, a son the same age so it was just like the idea of that was just and what that means, I actually haven't watched the series, so I don't know. Is there a scene in in it where we go to visit him? Uh, yes. In yes. the end, that yes. was also crushing. Yeah. Just like, you know, you just have to, I, I have a son. And, and that age is so beautiful, too, because they still have a foot in childhood and a foot in, like, teen and leaving the nest and all of that. So it's like this little sweet spot. And I could just, and Cameron was such a nice kid and actually reminds, reminds me a little bit of my own son. And so for me to like, think about my own son, use my imagination, say those words, look at Cam and just think of all the like facts of this story. It was like terrible. I mean, it's great as an actor to have all those things there to draw upon, but it's also yeah. like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, uh, I started crying, uh, and I actually just got a little teary eyed while you got teary eyed. I was like, okay, breathe through it. I haven't also been able to talk about it at all. Cause like all these things, people are talking about grief and I'm just like, Lori's, you know, Lori's fine. So this is the first time you're like the first person I've spoken about, about it with. So thank you. You're welcome. We'll get, through, <laughs> we'll get through this together. Yeah. Um, the last question I wanted to ask, or one of the last questions I want to ask you before I run out of time is, um, you know, the title episode is um, sacrament, right? And there's this idea of sort of giving grace, um, which comes through in, in that in that final kitchen scene and all of that. Um, and I, I'm just wondering, you know, what that means to you or, or what, what do you think? <laughs> here's, here's a harder question. What do you think the whole show is about to you, to you, Julianne? I love that word, grace. I think that's a beautiful way to look at it for me it was um it is that thing of of life goes on and it's 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 joys and it's heartbreaks and it's um 
the people we the people we meet and the people who come close to us and the people we lose and um it just felt like a really beautiful examination of of a community and um and female friendship and and as you say motherhood too yeah uh but I love that idea of, of, of grace and forgiveness and um, trying to do the best we can and, and seeing that mostly that's what we're all trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. My thanks absolute pleasure. Thank you. Let me, thanks for letting me be the first uh, rocks your emotions crush up against. And- yeah. <laughs> Good luck today. Uh, the first time is the hardest. And now it's just like, oh, you know, he's a kid. It's sad. Moving <laughs> Whatever. on. Move on. Life goes on. It's fine. Who are the risk takers that help reinvent and reimagine the kinds of stories we see on TV? We Disrupt This Broadcast, a brand new podcast from the Peabody Awards and the Center for Media and Social Impact, talks to creators of TV shows like Abbott Elementary, Watchmen, Black Mirror, and Better Things to explore how the most compelling shows and the creative powers behind them are upending the status quo. Listen to We Disrupt This Broadcast now, available where you get your podcasts. All right, so when it started to become clear to you, Richard, that mm-hmm. uh, you were right, <laughs> well, you were Nostradamus once again at one point about Ryan, and once again, I mean, what I like about—I'll say what I really like about this, even even though it makes me <laughs> embarrassingly wrong. What I really like about this so much is that once again, it is just incredibly. It's not treated as like a gotcha twist. It's just very emotional. Kate Winslet's uh, performance when Mare sees Ryan on the security footage is, you know, or when she calls in, you know, when Ryan starts running and she calls him in, all of that stuff. I mean, it's just she's she's gangbusters all the way through with that. And I and I remember you saying really early on when we heard about you were like, I feel like the this ending is just going to be really sad like this is just going to be a sad accident that we're going to be really sad about and once again you were incredibly right about that that this is just like a sad thing that uh you know a, a kid did to another kid essentially uh you know and even if john didn't pull the trigger like you know this the, the sin of john the sin of a father being passed on and becoming the responsibility of a son also feels very thematic for the show so yeah yeah i mean How's so much of the show is about kids kind of entangled in a in in a in a world of adults and Mm -hmm. falling between you know through the cracks or having to help their parents you know sort of grow up faster in siobhan's case that it makes total thematic sense that that ultimately it was a kid who killed another kid you know that it was just this kind of horrid thing that happened because um someone was trying to hold their family together you know um We've seen a lot of characters on the show, Mayor in particular, like do bad things to try to protect her family or or, or, or keep the unit together in, in, in whatever form it is. You know, did I buy necessarily all of the mechanics of it and then I went to the thing and get the right. gun and then I put right. it back? And No, maybe not. 
it was a little ornate, I guess, because I think a true accident wouldn't involve like a 13 year old. I mean, plenty of young kids, even younger than that, have had horrible accidents with guns, of course. But like, it felt a little too complex, maybe. But the root of it, which is just that this was a confused kid with some clearly anger problems. Uh, You know, we saw the cafeteria situation, even though the kid who got hit with the lunch tray probably deserved it. Um, You know, I I don't want to, like, diagnose the town as being, like, this kind of diseased thing where these people's problems are the symptoms but like clearly something is troubling the town or some things you know many things are and that effect can is multifaceted you know it's it's drug problems it's anger issues it's seeking something like john did in a in a you know by sleeping with a child raping a child yeah you know, and I don't know that it could have ended on anyone but someone like Ryan, you know, because like that's kind of what the show was saying is that like you can't protect everyone. And I think that like the fact that like Lori hasn't lost her son, she can still visit him. He'll be out probably when he's 18, I would think, you know, yeah. but she and Mayor have at least had a, a major setback related to their children and what they do in the face of that which is the end of the episode is I think the sort of message of the show as maybe despairing and bleak as it is. It's just like, you have to just kind of find people and get through it, you know, and hold on to them even when they're pushing, you know, like, yeah. So, yeah. So the Lori stuff, I will, I will say like, I will give us both of us full marks for being like, Julian Nicholson's going to get to do a thing. You know what I mean? And, and like, I think I even invoked like the, is that my daughter in there when she was like, yeah. when she was yelling like, Ryan, it's Ryan. I was like, oh, she's doing it. She's doing it. Give it to me, Julianne. Um, but like, there's that scene, but then the scene in the kitchen, I was like, <laughs> I was all like wound up tight sort of watching this, this episode. We had to kind of watch it quickly because then you and I had to go into a meeting. So I was like trying to like watching the clock, making sure I got through it knowing that I was wrong about my prediction, all of that sort of was competing. And so I was worried that I wasn't going to be like emotionally accessible while I was watching this episode. Cause I had to like do it quickly for work. And I started crying in that kitchen scene for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, obviously the reflection of the, the bench scene where Lori says to Mayor, you know, after Kevin died, you pushed everyone away and Mayor says, even you. And Lori says, no, I won't let you. Right. So Lori tries really hard. She's blaming Mare. We, we, can under, we can understand why, but she's putting this blame on Mare, pushing Mare away, and Mare's not letting her, right? Yeah. And then and then also that reflect. I'm getting like emotional thinking about it now, the reflection to when Mare talks about finding Kevin and taking him down and sort of falling down with him and like he was so heavy, he was so heavy. Like her taking... Lori and then falling, holding her and falling down as Lori cried, stuff like that. Just really beautiful stuff. Great work from two great actresses. I just loved it. Yeah, so many parallels and 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 Mare, you know, in two instances in this episode, has found herself the not past grief by any means, but but a little further in her journey of it. You know, with Mr. Yeah. Carroll and then with Lori and. Is it a is it a sunny view of the world that 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 kind of is life is this kind of like relay race of hardship? <laughs> no, but 
it is realistic in some senses. And I, and I think that, you know, I'll, I'll pull you up and then you're, you'll get ahead. Then you'll pull me up and we'll just kind of keep going until, you know, whatever. And I, I think where the attic kind of metaphor comes in is that like, you know, if she had sort of opened the door and it was a beautiful day and she strode into the new promising dawn or whatever, that would have been bad. <laughs> but she's going into like a dark little attic where her she found her dead son, you know, um, yeah. but she's at least allowing herself the sort of willingness on some, you know, pleasant early evening after her grandson has gone to bed to like explore that terrain. And like Lori will get there and Mr. Carroll will get there by embarking on a romance with Helen, of course. Um <laughs> You know, like that, 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 yeah. that, like the grief is a process. And I think that, like, we didn't leave anyone in the show done with that process by any means, but that there is momentum in it is like enough for like hope and, and, and all that. And so to see Mare get from episode one to a point where she's not running away from or pushing away that kind of duty, I guess, or, or, or anything yeah. was really, you know, that's a that's a great character arc and a, and a sort of even despite all the therapy scenes and everything kind of a subtle one too. Yeah. I think it's really beautiful and I'm 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 really here excited to hear from Brad Inglesby sort of like his conception for the show in the first place. Like that that he that this emotional journey for her wrapped in a who done it. You know what I mean? Like uh, so many so many shows are chasing who done it vibe right because like especially on hbo because that's sort of like week to week theorizing especially if it's not based on a book like is is a great way to get audiences talking about excited about like you know mayor's ratings have been really good the last time a show did this well was the undoing which is also a who done it sort of thing like it's all the rage but like if you can make that mystery mean something <laughs> emotionally then you have a, a much more interesting show than just sort of like trying to fool the audience or whatever it is, you know, and something that like series director Craig Zobel said in our earlier conversation is he was like, I don't really care if people solve who did it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really care if people predict it early. Like we want to have those breadcrumbs there. We don't want to like blindside you. We don't want to do gotcha. We want to like, we want to make it a believable path to this so that if you go back and watch, you can see sort of the signs were there from the first episode when Mare like checks in with Ryan, right? So we, 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 that's the show we want to do. And we want that. And we want the real meaning of the show to be about Mary's journey through therapy, which I think is all, all true. And there, there are some like, you know what? There are some soggy bits in the show and in the middle, I think. But I think they, they stuck the landing exactly the way they wanted to, which is give me some meaty emotional stuff for Kate Winslet and Julianne Nicholson to play and I'll be satisfied. And I am. So there we are. Yeah. We, we literally watch in the last scene, we watch someone move into, a different phase of their life like yeah climbing into it you know yeah and um that's reason enough to think that all of these characters troubled as they may be those who are alive at least can do the same as can we all that's, oh as can we all all right let's hear from series creator uh, brad inglesby about uh you know his whole idea of I wanted to start with a sort of silly granular question, but when I asked uh, Craig to explain 
one of the episode titles to me. He said, you're going to have to ask Brad because he had very specific ideas about the episode. <laughs> so you've got some poetry in here, some song lyrics. I was wondering sort of like, what, what were you thinking when you were coming up with the episode titles? For this yeah, I think it was always like, I would write the episode, Joanna, and then kind of be like, what is this about? You know, what is this episode really about? And actually, I think episode six, you know, yeah, the storm episode, which is the Dickinson poem. It was actually, we actually had that last sequence. It was like raining out. There was a storm that Mayor was going out into the woods. So there was a storm and she didn't know that, you know, that this trek into the woods would ultimately lead to the ending reveals. And so it was like, wow, she doesn't realize how much hope is going to be crushed when she gets to these ultimate revelations. Um, but there was an actual, I think in the early drafts of the script, there was an actual, like, it was raining, there was a, a storm. And so I think that's why it was gone. And then we just never changed the, and we just <laughs> never changed the title. And even Illusions, like, even that episode, we had a whole scene where, you know, I think Mayor was talking to the therapist, um, and, and, and the therapist was really talking about, like, Hey, everyone's given you this name of Lady Hawk, but like, and there was an actual a, a quote we use, like, you know, humans aren't aren't good at recognizing illusions about their sex, about themselves, even when they're, especially when they're flattering ones. And that was what we wanted to achieve with Mare is that she's allowed people to, you know, to see her as a as a hero, and she's enjoyed the applause that she's been, you know, all these years has gotten, yeah. um, and so she hasn't tried. She hasn't tried to in any way, I guess, deny this idea that people have of her, but now the facade is crumbling and she's not able to able to maintain it any longer. So it's funny how the titles change when over time, though, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Well, let me ask you about another one specifically, which is um, Enter Number Two, which is a song yes. lyric. Right. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because that song, at one point we had that song in the episode, but then I also loved it because it was like the moment when Evan or Zabel really kind of entered her life as a romantic interest. And so right. it was like, uh, uh, okay, now she's shuffling, you know, she has these two guys that have entered her life and how is that going to play out? And and so that was a, and, and so that was a, uh, an idea I had when I was writing that, uh, you know, that episode too, but yeah, it, I mean, you're right. It was a song lyric. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great song. Um, I want to talk to you now. I want to talk to you about something a, a bit more a, you know, emotional, which is this final shot of Mare climbing this ladder, which, you know, yes. a, a callback to the therapy session when she says she, she hasn't been back in the attic, right. Since her son died, this is her making a, physical breakthrough for a, a mental emotional sort of blockage she's had um of course uh my podcast co-host and i cried watching it <laughs> that, that moment oh, oh great oh, that makes me happy actually that makes me really happy <laughs> thanks for making us cry oh it's, a, <laughs> it's a, a beautiful sort of physical uh you know literal depiction of of this very emotional uh, moment and i'm just wondering you know what what when you thought of it, when you knew that was going to be the final shot of the series, you know, all of that. Yep. I got to be honest, Jenna, it's funny because we, the ending shot of the scripts was Mare and Lori in, in, in the, the kitchen. kitchen. Yeah. And so in the scripts, that's how we ended it. And then we, then we met a therapist um, who dealt with grief on the set. And I had a number of conversations with her about what the sessions would look like and what dialogue we should use. And, and I, and I remember asking her one time, like, so what would you tell someone um, who's lost a child 
it's the suicide, you know, where would you tell them to go? Would you say go to a place that you shared a like happy memory in or, or, or would you tell them to, you know, go somewhere? She said, no, I would tell them to, con- I would tell them to go where it happened. And I was, I was taken aback. I thought that would be the last place you would want to send anybody. But, right. but this woman in particular was like, no, I think you have to go there and live in that space and you have to sit with it. And then I remember thinking, wow, that's like, that's really, that, it was a revelation. I was like, that's really compelling. And I don't know that I would be, have the courage to do that, but, um, but it's compelling. And um, if it's honest, if it's something that a, a therapist would actually ask someone to do, then, and then when we got to the end, it felt like it, it became so obvious. It's like, no, of course it has to end with Mary going up. This whole show is a woman who refuses to confront grief that refuses to confront the loss of her son. So of course it has to end with her going up and doing this thing. And then it just became like incredibly obvious. It was like, that's the last shot of the show. It's this ascension of mayor to, you know, do the thing she's been avoiding all this time. And really that was always the interest of the show in, in my mind was it was an exploration of grief and a woman who refuses to you know, confront the loss of her son that ultimately has to do it at the end. So I'm really happy it worked. Yeah, it did. Uh, Niagara Falls on my face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, also, also that that Laurie Mayer kitchen scene, which is this, um, you know, uh, beautiful. I was just talking to Julianne about it. This sort of beautiful reflection of that bench scene, right, where Laurie says, "Like, I yes. won't let you push me away." And Mary yes, to, like return that favor to her. It's a great um, callback. Exactly right, Joanne. Yeah. I'm so glad that you saw that because that's a great callback. Which is like, no, I'm I'm going to stick by you, and now this incredible you know horrible revelations have put them apart and now it and now it's mayor's turn to not you know ever push her away so i i really love that there are these like it's it's the bookend of that scene so i'm 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 really glad you saw that i'm i'm curious the laurie and mayor relationship feels i mean I felt this might be true in my heart because I'm a longtime Julianne Nicholson fan. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, she's so good. I was like, you don't put Julianne Nicholson in the show if it's, if this is not, you know, what's going to be really important. <laughs> so like, you know, the fact that this like love story between these two women is like sort of the, the beating through line of the, of the show. Yep. Um, you know, why was that an interesting story for you to tell? Well, I think, you know, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say all the men in the show are bad, but a large, a large portion of the men, you know, I think honestly it was, you know, when I started writing the scripts, it was really, a, I wanted to write about home and I grew up with a lot of women in my life. And, and, you know, my mom had three sisters and we would go to my grandmother's house every week to have dinner with them. And it was just the women. And I grew up with a stutter as a kid. So I, I didn't really like to talk all that much because, you know, when you have a stutter, you're kind of embarrassed to talk. And so I ended up just doing a lot of listening as a kid. And a lot of that listening was listening to my mom and her sisters and, and, and also my sisters. And so I think like, and also admiring the way these women were able to like just juggle so many things and keep the family unit together and also have time to support each other and lean on each other. And I just, I so admired that in them and still do. Um, and that was really interesting to me. And, and so, I, I mean, I don't know if I've neglected the men in the story, but maybe I have, but like, I've always, I was always most interested in these, in the women. It was, it, it's the three generations of women in Mayor's house. And then it's these women who were, have a shared connection in the basketball team. It's Beth and Dawn and Lori. And, 
I don't know. I think that the women are the ones that kind of hold this community together that, um, and that I really, I love the idea that we could explore how women and mothers and daughters um, are able to, you know, hold each other up and the support they give each other. And that just felt really, I don't know. I just was really interested in that. And I've seen it in my own life so many times. So maybe that's, it's just coming from a place of experience that I've seen the way the women, you know, hold these, hold these communities and the families together. And, uh, and then that relationship in particular, Mayor and Lori. Yeah. Um, and to be honest with you, Julianne was the second person we cast in the show. And it's because we know, you know, we knew what, what exactly what the ending episode was going to be. And we knew we needed a great effortless actress like Julianne, who's just so, I mean, she's so good in the last episode. I, I, I mean, I'm just so in awe of her performance, you know? Yeah. Um, she was telling me that she and Kate are longtime fan, uh, friends, right? Yep. And so they could just draw on that foundational friendship. And it's funny because um, talking to Evan Peters, he's yep. like, oh, I'm just like a, a big fanboy around Kate. And I just got to like draw on that to be, you know, my admiration, <laughs> my, me following around Kate, like a puppy dog trying to learn how to act is how Colin follow, follows around Mare. Um, you know. Oh, he's, he's selling himself short. Evan's wonderful. <laughs> um, but um, but I was wondering uh, this. That actually brings me to my question about um, Guy Pierce, who I understand was a was a recast of, of Ben Miles was in the role, and then and then Guy yeah. uh, hopped into that role. Was that someone like you know he and Kate have worked together before? Was that someone like you thought you know we know he and Kate work well, have this chemistry, let's just do it, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think Kate had the idea um, to, you know, because they'd worked together before and she said, listen, it's, it's, it's an easy call I can make. We'll see if Guy would be interested. Um, and, you know, and, and truly, I know, you know, I've read a bunch of theories online about Guy and everyone was leading into it, but he was always, he was, he was always written as a guy, um, as a character that would just come in and be a sort of, uh, a light in Mare's life that he came into her life at this very challenging time and he helped her get through it. And he was always only that. And so I, I do understand, you know, the suspicion and I, especially cause it's guy and yeah. he's such a wonderful actor, but, um, but he was always only written as that. And, and I think that's, um, it was just a, a, a beautiful little relationship that came at the right time in her life that provided some tenderness and outlet. And, um, and, you know, listen, I mean, I think that's sometimes the way relationships go. Not everything is, you know, a hundred years later, we're still together. Sometimes someone comes into your life at a certain time yeah. and, and, and it comes and it goes, but they help carry you through a particular time in your life. And that's beautiful too. It doesn't have to last forever to me. You know, I think we right. even have that line in the show at some point, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, uh, Siobhan's girlfriend says. That. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, no, um, I do think that Guy Pierce wound up in an act like an accidental red herring, right? Because yes, just yes. because of casting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I talked to so many people even like last week who were like, "Oh, it has." To, I mean, obviously it's Guy Pierce because why else is Guy Pierce there? And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> he's he's recast." I think it's a. Uh, I think you're yeah. looking at the wrong thing. Okay. Oh my um, gosh. Let me ask. Oh, you talk about like, you know, not all the men obviously in the show are, are that bad, you know, like Richard, the author, seems very lovely. Sure. Yes. Uh, Colin, despite this big secret, he's cute. Oh, yeah. uh, he's great. You know, he's great. Is a, is a puppy dog that audiences latched onto. Um, what does his, like, what do you see as his death meaning for Mare's journey here? Like in the moment that he dies, right? You hear audio of her son. So yes. is it like a, this is an, this is another young man that I couldn't 
like save or, or what is that for Mary? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I think what it meant for Mare's character, um, I think more so that, you know, what we were interested in is like a moment of, I don't know, comeuppance almost, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of what Mrs. It sort of was Abel's mom you know, says on the doorstep, but what we were interested in, especially Kate was like, Hey, you know, this cavalier attitude that you have, like it has to stop Mare. Like it's having, it has real consequences now. Like you think you can just do whatever you want, act in any way you want. And like, and guess what? Like that's not how life works. And so I think that what we were interested in from a character point of view in terms of Mare was like, that when she goes back onto the force that she's going to go back in a different way. Now she still gets the call from the chief. He's like, pull over. And she's like, Nope. So maybe she's not quite hasn't reformed all the way yet, Joanna. But like, right. but my hope is that like that an audience looks at mayor and, and, and maybe the ultimate Testament is that she doesn't let Ryan go, that there is a commitment to justice and the duty of the job that she has to have now. And um, so I hope that when they leave, they think of, her going back to that job. Yes, she saved the girls, but Zabel's dead. And like, there's not, you know, you have to go about this job in a way that isn't as cavalier, mm. that that your decisions have consequences and that, you know, you're going to be held to a standard now that that you have to uphold. And, and so that was our goal in terms of the character arc was that Mayor gets back on the force, but it's a different Mayor than before. It's one that is willing to, you know, recommit herself to, to the job and the demands of the job in a way that she wasn't able to do before. Is that sort of like, okay, so we see the scene earlier in the season when Mayor uh, deletes the security footage because it's just a neighborhood kid doing some graffiti and she, she yeah. makes the decision like, listen, nobody needs to see this. It's fine. We can delete this. Exactly. Exactly. She could have done the same thing with Ryan and, you know, especially since she has such an emotional connection and she yes. does it in that moment because she's made yeah. a transition. Yes. Yes. Well, also, but I, I'll also say, Joanna, I, mean, the, I think, yeah, yes, ahead. no, but I, I think you're right. But also the thing is that, you know, cause someone else asked me that like, Oh, why couldn't she walk away? Well, I would also say that she made a pact with Aaron too. Like, you know, what does that say about her, her as a, as a detective, her commitment to you know, solving this awful crime. And yeah. if she lets Ryan go, what does it say about her as a detective? You know, she made this pact with this girl who deserves better. And so I think that's a part of it too. It's like, well, she made a pact to Aaron, this girl whose life was cut way too short that didn't deserve this. And if she just lets Ryan go, what does it say about her awareness of Aaron's life? I don't think it, I, I, I don't think that would be acceptable, at least not the mayor I know. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting about the, you know, what's so satisfying about this finale is not the fact that there's a, a mid a mid episode twist of like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, someone else, right? That's, that's interesting. But yeah. the fact that uh, you, you created a, a case of mystery that would be so emotionally cathartic or or fulfilling something like that so when you're when you were coming when you were coming up with this when you're crafting the pieces and the players Mm so what were you thinking when did you land on oh it'll be the kid of her best friend and that'll trigger stuff about her son and all of that yeah when did you put that together well so i had i had had this character and these characters in my head for probably like i want to say joanna like eight months but i've watched too many of these stories and I know you have to stick the landing or else people are going to like 
not, you know, they're going to, they're going to be angry at you. And so I had these characters in my head. um, And, but I knew like, I'm like, okay, what's the ending? Like it has to be surprising. And yet, as you said, it has to be incredibly emotional. So it has to tie back into Mare's life and has to be meaningful in Mare's journey as a character. So, so I just didn't write anything until I knew where it would end. And then, then one day I was like, oh, it's, see all the parallels there. It's Lori, her son, Mare's son, this act of mercy gets Mare to have mercy on herself over Kevin and take, and then it, it's, it's slowly kind of like, it all started to fit into place. And then once I knew where it would end, uh, then I was confident that I could structure the other episodes to have an audience leaning one way and then another way. But we weren't too good. You were on to us. And I, I got sent enough articles that you were way on to us. So, so you were really, you know, really smart, really, really no, smart. Let me t- <laughs> so uh, one thing that I, uh, that we talked about a lot on, on the podcast uh, is this through line of, of looking at the o- opioid crisis and how it affects yes. this community. And I was wondering yep. what, what, um, what you wanted to accomplish there. Well, I think it was more, you know, we didn't want to make it like a show about the opioid crisis, but just have it like, you know, you know, in these communities, it's just such a part of these communities now that it's almost, a, this is the wrong word, but it's just accepted as a way of life that everyone knows someone that's going, yeah, that's experiencing this. And, and, and I think what we were interested in achieving in the show was to, you know, portray the effects of this in a very human way on, on, on not just the, um, on those who who are suffering from the disease, but also those who are close to the ones who are suffering and, um, and, and portray that in a way that was, um, that had a certain level of empathy and understanding and, 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 and that really was the decision at the end of episode four, I think, you know, where Dawn sort of has this moment to be like, oh, my God, it was your brother. Like, oh, like, I can't, you know, it was your own brother. And instead, she knows the pain you know, that Beth is going through. Mm-hmm. And it's a moment of like, if I say this, what what is going to come of it? Like, what will it, it's not going to do any good. So let me just let me keep it to myself. And so our goal was to acknowledge that you know, that there are people suffering from this disease in these communities. And I mean, really, it's everywhere now. I should even say it's specific to this part of the country. It's really everywhere. But also portray it with a level of empathy and to not, um, you know, look down on the disease in any way, but to show the real emotion that these people are having to go through every day and live with. And so that was really what we were trying to achieve there, was to just show that it was a part of this community in just the same way that all these other aspects of the community are a part of the community. It's just a way of life. And how do you deal with it in a way that's um, empathetic, really? Um, you know, you talk about Beth and, and Dawn um, and, you know, Lori and Mary is these teammates of this, of this basketball team. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that that basketball is like of interest to you and your family, your, your, your basketball lineage. Um, I, was, <laughs> yes. I, was asking, I was asking Julianne if, uh, if you would talk explicitly to her about this idea of teammates uh, yes. you know, and what that means. And she's like, I don't think it was ever made that explicit to me, but I, I was just wondering if that was like, you know, what you think it means for people to be teammates on a sports team and how you extrapolate that to the story. Yeah, it's a really good question because it, it's it's funny. I think it, it's, you know, what I remember about a, being a teammate um, 
is, you know, are not the games or the practice. It's like the goofy moments in the locker room and it's like the bus trips and, you know, it's all the moments in between the games and practices. And I think what that's speaking to is that, you know, what teams have always meant to me, and I wasn't really a great athlete, I can tell you that. My brother and my dad were good. I was like incredibly average. Um, <laughs> but um, but again, I was like, you know, what I liked about having to be on a team was the friendships and the shared experiences you get by having to travel on a bus or go on a, uh, a overnight trip somewhere and stay in a hotel together and, you know, just stay up late and talking to the guys about various things. Like those were the moments that always resonated with me as being a teammate. It was friendship. And I think, you know, what it gave us in this, in this, um, in, in this show in particular was like, here are these women that have had these moments of laughter and and victory and it's tied them together to these shared experiences that now have to be are starting to fracture in various ways but it grounds them in such experience and that's what I was interested in is like here are these people that have laughed together have loved together have talked about boyfriends together have had all these conversations and then we're dropping in on them at this time in in their lives where it's starting to fracture. And that to me is, is like heartbreaking because it's the way life works sometimes is that you, like there are so many people in my life that I was so close to at one time and it's that now I don't speak to. It's like, how does that happen? But it does. And it's just how life works. It, you know, it, everyone drifts away from each other and you're trying to cling to those old memories. And so it just, I think it grounded their, it, it, uh, it was a way of grounding the friendship in a shared experience. And also I think people could relate to being on a team and so there is a kind of just uh, a built-in, you know, memory that people have of being on a team that I think helps them understand how many experiences these women have had together and grounds the friendship in deep history, you know? Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, I wanted to ask you also to to zoom back to the crafting of a whodunit of it all. Uh, something that you did that is very tricky to do is you were trying to give us a, a number of scenes where you drop us in the middle of the scene where we hear something yeah try to interpret it one way and we and like you know and and i was talking to robbie tan last week and he was saying that like craig used to shoot he shot a lot of different yep. versions of the line read right so yeah yeah yep. try to find the most ambiguous one mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. when did you decide you're going to set yourself that writing challenge and like and how hard was that you know, it's like, I guess we always knew that it was, it, I guess I always knew it was coming down the pike that we we're going to have to have these, you know, it was such a, I think that was probably the hardest, hardest, you know, in terms of the edit, actually, Joanna, and also the writing, it was the hardest scene to write because we were always worried that we would, that an audience would feel tricked. And that was the one thing we never wanted them to do was to feel tricked in some way. And so you, so there was, you know so there was an edit of that scene where john was like really aggressive and the audience knew oh he's up to something and then there was an edit of the scene where john was really sympathetic and it was like well then we've tricked the audience because we're lying to them because so we had to land and and audiences will tell us if we did it enough or didn't do it you know (laughs) i i don't know what they're going to think of the ending but i think that was such a tightrope walk of trying to be honest and and yet not tip our hand and it, it, that was that was one of the hardest scenes in the whole series to edit. And again, I, who knows if we did it well or not, audiences will have to decide. But it was, 
again, I, I, I think the trick is how do you how do you have an ending be satisfying? It has to be surprising and satisfying, but an audience can never feel as if they've been tricked. And that was the tightrope walk we were trying to, you know, do the whole time in the show. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that Craig told me from early on is like, we want you to be able to go back and find the breadcrumbs, right? You don't want, you don't want to be blindsided by, oh, it's some guy out of town that you've never heard of. Totally right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's got to be earned, right? Like it has to be earned and and yet it has to be surprising. So that's always the balance of like, how much of Ryan are we going to show? When do we show him? How do we not tip our hand? How do we have enough of him where you get to that ending and go, oh, okay, that, that actually makes sense. And Ooh, it was it was a it was a tricky one. <laughs> um, let me ask you my last question for you, which is um, so th- to circle back to the episode title. So this episode is titled Sacrament. Yep. Um, obviously, we have um, you know I'm I'm a I'm an agnostic person, but I googled Sacrament and it seems to be about sort of imparting grace, right? Yes. Uh, does that seem okay? Uh, exactly right. Yes, it's like a ritual that imparts grace. Exactly right. right. Uh, this this offering of grace that that Mary gives Lori and, and yes. all of that sort of stuff. Um, but you also have like a very you know a literal religious figure at the center of this, and Deacon Mark. Uh, yes. This this sermon he gives uh, to the community. Um, and, uh, and, and do you see his, I guess, I don't know why I'm ending with this rather than something more mayor centric, but like, do you see his, uh, you know, being welcomed back into the church as a question mark, a, a, a loose end at the end of this? Dan seems discomforted by it a bit so like what do what do you see for that well i think what we wanted to do and it's a little bit it's it's a little bit nebulous in the show the timeline but in the you know you know what we wanted was that is that the homily and 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 because of the structure of scenes it probably isn't going to feel as as if enough time has passed what we were trying to achieve is that he's getting up there it's been almost I think we say eight months since the arrest of Ryan. This is the first time he's actually gone up to the podium. But what, what I was interested in there, Joanna, is this like, it's one of the ideas that I was trying to uh, achieve in the show is this idea of mercy in the show. Like it's a show that in many ways is about mercy. And, and that ending sequence is about the congregation you know, showing him mercy, accepting him into the community again after some questionable behavior now we ultimately know he wasn't responsible but he did you know he did hide the bike and and that that raises questions about his ability to be a part of this community but but they have cautiously welcomed him back in and then it's because he gives this speech about mercy that it triggers mayor to go to Lori's house and it's by imparting this mercy on Lori that mayor then is able to impart mercy on herself you know that she's able to forgive herself ultimately and go okay I'm going to confront this thing um and so that was sort of the chain that we were interested in there is is this it's forgiveness really it's the community forgiving Mark it's it's Lori and Mayor and then it's Mayor on herself so that was kind of the chain we were interested in in going down at the end of the show I hope it works I mean works for me so (laughs) great (laughs) great great Thank you so much, Brad. I really appreciate it. Okay, Joanna. Good talking to you. Have a good day. You too. Thanks. Okay, bye. All right. That's it for us and for Mayor. We did it, Richard. Where are you going to be until until you come back to us for Loki? Uh, I, I have some stuff to go through in the attic. I just that watching that episode, I was like, oh shit! Like, I just I have to do it. Just boxes. I'm going to be like Chevy Chase in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, just wrapped in a blanket, <laughs> watching old Christmas 
home videos. Perfect. I'll be tweeting from Rylaws, uh, writing at VF.com. Joanna, until we head to, I don't know where Loki even takes place, but wherever we go, <laughs> where will you be until then? Throughout time and space is the answer, Richard. Let's see, where shall I be? I guess, uh, you know, paying off the wages of this bet that I lost, um, but also... <laughs> You know, on VanityFair.com, tweeting at Joe wrote my, my erroneous theories that you wrote this and, uh, and drowning my stories in, in a hoagie, probably. So we will see you all somewhere in time and space with Loki next week. Bye. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.